Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 160. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. We also have another guest. Um, after 160 episodes, some said this day would never occur. Um, after much clamoring from one particular individual, <laughs> we we have Adam El Soto from, from PPP. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here amazed you would... Let me join uh, as the as the resident as the resident dummy of the website. It's it's uh, intimidating okay. to be with you guys, but it's it, it'll be good. Yeah, the thing is, just that this came up and we were just like discussing it in passing, like twenty episodes in. We're like, oh yeah, we'll get people on from the site and stuff, and somehow it became a joke that we hadn't had you on yet. So for no reason, we just kept doing it forever, but there was no reason. Mm. Um, as, but, as listeners of this pod would attest, this is really not a Mensa meeting. No! So, <laughs> uh, you're, you're more than welcome. But also, we have some topics today that should uh, suit you well. Your experience with hockey schadenfreude, mm. as we call it. Um, the Leafs, we talk about them all the time. I'm sure we will discuss them in passing, and we might talk a little bit towards the end. Um, they're doing fine, considering that Marner and Sandine are out. I can't say that it's a dazzling performance when you blow a 4-1 lead to the Chicago Blackhawks. And they, they deserve won. to blow the 4-1 lead, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop playing, you know. But uh, anyway, they're kind of hanging in there. They are cruising at about the standings level that we would anticipate. They're third in points, or seventh in standings uh, points percentage. And so we figured this was as good a time as any to focus on some other stuff that's happening because two prominent Canadian markets have turfed their GMs in the last couple of weeks. The Montreal Canadiens and the Vancouver Canucks. And we thought we would discuss that. And yeah. the tenures of the men involved. Starting yeah, so let, with... Yeah. Let's start with Montreal. Yeah, so... Um, with, uh, with with Mark Bergevin, geez, I almost said with Jim Benning there. Um, I'm very excited to talk about the Canucks, as you can see. <laughs> Mark Bergevin, I mean, it's it, it's sort of interesting, right? He's, he was there essentially a decade. The Habs were, I think, for most of that, a sort of middling team. And I think they were a middling team last year who had a miracle run to, to the finals. And now they are really, truly awful. Um, they have a lower points percentage than the Ottawa Senators. They have a slightly better points percentage than Arizona, a team that is both not trying to win hockey games nor trying to pay rent, um, which is not relevant to their hockey performance, but just like they're really not trying on all fronts. They're taking that commitment to a new level. The, the Habs are, are disastrous this year, um, and Bergevin essentially paid for that. Um, I don't know, Soda, how, you, you, you have a Habs fan in your household. What's the view for, uh, in that sense on, on Bergevin's uh, tenure, and how do you see it? Uh, well, I technically, yes, have a, have a Habs fan in the household, though she hasn't been much of one since they traded away Subban. Mm -hmm. um, as I guess a lot of them <laughs> haven't been, but uh, I, I guess when I told her they fired Bergevin, she's like, he's still there? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's still there. And he finally, I, I had to explain the last couple of years. She you know, watched a couple games during the cup run, but... I mean, we were moving at the time, so there was no time for that. So I explained everything he's done since, and it hasn't gone over well. So I think there's some uh, enjoyment that he's gone uh, from from her perspective. Um, and uh, you know, I always wanted the Canuck, not the Canucks, the Canadians at least to be good at the same time to get a good rivalry going. And we got that in the playoffs, and now I don't want that anymore. So I hope they're just bad. Forever. <laughs> um, we very quickly learned that was a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I want everyone to be bad except the Leafs. There, that's, that's what I want. Um, you know, but I, I can't believe Bridgerman held on so long. I think there was a couple things that maybe have, uh, you know, given him the, the, the runway needed to try and convince Molson he's the guy. But, you know, I was looking uh, at their draft record because uh, we're talk going to talk about your betting, so I had to pull up everyone's draft record and man, they haven't done anything with the draft. Yeah. The 10 years that Bergevin's been there. Their drafting has been absolutely horrific. Even even when they've gotten high-level picks, they haven't turned them into anything, right? They, they picked Kotkaniemi third. Um, yeah. They picked Gauchenyuk high up. They, that they, was Bergevin's first ever pick. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's played 600 games, mostly not for Montreal. Yeah, and, and 
you know, I, we we quite like Galchenyuk for his time with the Leafs last year. I think he he you know, was 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 solid enough in his role, but certainly not what you want out of out of a pick that high. Mm-hmm. Um, Kanyemi wasn't tracking well, and then they had this, the the they, they lost him for um, to to Carolina in that whole offer sheet thing this off season. Kind of rescued that to some extent by by trading for Christian Dvorak in both situations. Kind of rescued in some sense, from the from a suboptimal pick. But, you know, the better option is just, like, get a better player at that point for, for a team that has really struggled to have high-end talent. Um, yeah, and, you know, this is something, for the longest time, when challenged on his ability to develop young players, Mark Bergevin would say, well, the guys I trade away don't generally turn into much anywhere else. And first of all, the exception to that is Mikhail Sergachev. Mm-hmm. But... You know, some of these guys have turned out to be kind of flops in their, their new settings, I guess. I mean, you know, he's thinking of Galchenyuk, among others. But it's like, that's also on you. If you drafted these guys and they didn't go anywhere, and then you figured out you to you were supposed to give up on them, I guess that's astute of you to realize they weren't going anywhere, but you still picked them. Um, when you've been in the GM's chair as long as Bergevin has, which is over nine years, you own pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And so their failure to develop young talent and to ever really fix the center position. I mean, those problems just not being solved for his whole tenure are really, I think, what doomed him and his greatest flaw, you know. Now, to give him some credit, the Nick Suzuki trade is probably going to help them long term. Yeah. That's well, going to that, be annoying. But... That's, that's the thing. He's like a random walk GM in that. He's made some genuinely good moves. We all, I think, almost everyone hated the Subban Weber trade at the time, not just for, um, both for on ice and off ice reasons, with uh, how how kind of how nice it was to have a, a personality like Subban in a in a big media market like Montreal. But even on the ice, people thought they'd lost that trade because you know Weber was so much older than Subban, and Weber's aged well, and Subban has not. Right, that trade has looked wonderful from a from an on ice perspective. I I think with that trade. My, like, cause it happened on that big day, yeah, one day, you know, and then the day before that, I was explaining Weber's contract to my Habs fan wife about how awful it was and how it runs forever, and any anyone who traded that for that would be an idiot. And the next day, I had to come home and say they got rid of Subban. Remember that shitty contract I told you about? Well, now that's yours. Um, and yeah, Weber turned out well, but again, like, I don't know, would Subban have? You know, ruined his back as much if he was still a Montreal. It's all those things that you can't. You yeah, know, the the, the play counter, what if the counterfactual world where you don't make that trade doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, and then like the Pacioretty trade was good, getting Suzuki in yeah. there. But um, I don't know. I don't see a lot of his other moves being big uh, successes. Like even guys he's traded away. Everyone he drafted who's played over a hundred games is pretty much gone. So I. I think while he's made some good trades, the Gautier Domi trade, um, I just don't think he's, I can't honestly think of anything really good he's done for this team aside from being big and scary and making Molson not want to fire him earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you and, fire me, I'll beat the shit out of you. <laughs> from being just insanely jacked. Yeah. He has a mania for a big defenseman. Yeah. And, I was, I was going to mention this. I think that's like, if you yeah. could draw a line, between a lot of the com- like a lot of the commonalities of some of his worstish moves, or like wor- lower, like kind of medium impact but negative moves, it's been like overpaying for big defensemen. Yeah, and you know sometimes it has worked. We talked about Shea Weber, yes, better than we expected. He's huge. Uh, Jeff Petrie, he got for a song out of the Edmonton Oilers. I, does it count if you win a trade with Edmonton, like that era of Edmonton? <laughs> It, it, it's, it's like, playing the game on easy, but nonetheless, it's like, yeah, did I, do I, it. I can go to the local like YMCA and dunk on some eight-year-olds, but like <laughs> I get just asked to leave, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's what eventually happened to Virgil Man. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, he so he made some good acquisitions, but he also did stuff like the Carl Olsner contract that yeah. everyone said was bad instantly. That turned out to be bad within two weeks. Um, and, and that, you know, ended with him being demoted in the minors and then eventually got out. Uh, you know, you, you can point to other examples. Joel Edmondson, more ambiguous, but I don't think that's a great contract. David Savard, early returns, not great. Uh, but more than anything, he had this particular vision of what he was supposed to do to build a hockey team. And somehow it never quite seemed to involve 
getting enough scoring. And, yeah. You, you know, he tried the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet, which was worth a shot, except he did it too lightly. So Carolina yeah. was like, thanks. You know? Th- thanks for helping us sign our star center yeah. to a below market deal. Yeah. So, you know, you, you add this up and you, f- you see a team that for all his activity, and he was an active ass GM. This guy was engaged um, in more than just, you know, bulking up all the time. But the team remarkably didn't do that much, aside from that one fluky finals run. And I know I sound like I'm an embittered Leafs fan, but, like, that was a fluke. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, I guess to be charitable to them, they, they pay for very good goaltending, Carey Price. They got it through the course of that run. They had a legitimately good series against Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, they played well enough to win against Toronto with a, with some, you know, some some cluster luck and uh, poor shooting performances from Toronto. Although they'll they'll say you know to some extent that's Price doing it. They they, they won the games. They deserve to get where they got. I don't think they were close to the second best team in the league, and I don't think that was like a, a replicable plan for success. No, and I think that that's kind of obvious. Sorry, yes. Solar, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say, but yeah, bring up Carey Price. It, that's that's the team. Mm-hmm. Like as Carey Price goes, so goes the Canadians. Like I think Bergevin rode their conference final trip in 2014 a lot longer than he maybe should have, since they barely made the playoffs after that. And that only went aside because the Rangers ran Price and knocked him out. And then you know the season Price missed most of the year was the year I I picked Price for the Hart Trophy because he proved he was the most valuable <laughs> player to that team. Because he wasn't there, and they did terrible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, every year Price does well, the Canadians make the playoffs. When he doesn't, I mean, they miss them. And last year, Price came back against all odds and, and priced their way to the final. And, you know, now he's not there, and now they're terrible again. So yeah. I think maybe Carey Price should be the GM of the team, honestly. <laughs> I, You know, I will say this if we're trying to be fair to Bergerman. It's a weird circumstance to have a team built around a goaltender as your central player. And you can say, well, he shouldn't have done that or signed that contract. But the truth is, Carey Price was at the time that deal was inked, the best goalie on the planet. Sort of didn't have, yeah, didn't have a a, hu- a great choice there. Like the setup options aren't amazing. It's like sign Price to a deal that on, on a year to year basis, you can't guarantee he'll be worth it because of the general volatility of goalies or mm-hmm. let this homegrown superstar leave. Yeah. And, you know, I think truth be told, the vast majority of GMs would have signed that contract or something similar. Yes, I agree. So Yeah, and especially yeah. as as you said, Arvin, uh, homegrown superstar, like, they don't have many of those, so you have to keep them. I think mm-hmm. the only other one you can say they have is Gallagher, and outside of Montreal, I wouldn't say he's a superstar at all, so yeah, you're, you're kind of stuck signing price to that deal, and, you know, when it worked, it worked, and when it didn't, you got some good draft picks that you ruined, so, I mean... <laughs> Well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, um, I think, the 2014 run, right? Cause that that's sort of always been the constant push and pull with, with Bergevin in that, like, there, he'd always be on the hot seat at, at various points, but then he could point to, like, one particular playoff run, that, and that would earn him credit for a little bit. And then, you know, he the team would scuffle along because that playoff run was, you know, you know more a result of variance in, in, in hockey than the fact that the Habs were truly a, you know, absolutely great contending team. Mm-hmm. Right, so they they never had the consistency to go to to make those deep or even semi deep playoff runs on a, on a regular basis the way we see, you know, not even not even comparing them to teams like Tampa, but even teams like we've seen recent Boston do, right, um, or like uh, Capitals pre Cup, right? They they never had that that consistency. And Bergeron would always just kind of do just enough to to maintain the job for a little bit. He's like it's like a toxic boyfriend who like you know. <laughs> Is it really shitty most of the time, but then just does just enough to make you think that there's hope? Yeah, I mean, and this is why the Jim Benning section is going to be more fun because he was just bad a lot. Yeah. But Bergman, <laughs> the truth is, did some things that I thought were smart, and he yeah. did some things that I thought were dumb that turned out smarter than I thought they were. Yeah, um, if Bergman gets another job in the NHL, um, it's not like an absolutely absurd state of affairs that because he's clearly unqualified for it. There are, there are other reasons why maybe he shouldn't get another job in the NHL, which we can uh, discuss. Yeah. But he, he's clearly at least an okay GM. Yeah, he, he has some ability. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, he's 
you know, he, he's part, been part of multiple successful teams, like in the front office. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye if he got hired right away, uh, because also because there's 40 people for 32 jobs in this league. So you know, if Bergeron gets where he wanted to go or rumored to go in LA, you know, he can be work with uh, Ron Hextall. Is it Hextall in LA? No, he's in he's in Philly, isn't it? It's um, Rob Blake, I think. Rob Blake, sorry. No, no. Um, Rob Blake in LA. He's out of the spotlight and can be part of rebuilding the Kings. And he can go. He can work out on Venice Beach. Oh yeah, he can <laughs> hang out on Muscle Beach with all the guys with tops off, and he can show them off. And you know, maybe one day we'll we'll find out he his biceps exploded because he just <laughs> did it. For the record, um, Hextall is now in Pittsburgh. Oh right, that's uh, right. Yeah, with uh, Brian Burke. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. It's meant, okay. Meant like well, yeah. I'm sure both same state Pittsburgh and Philadelphia residents would be fine with being mixed up for each other. Yeah. No, they, they they're deal. pretty cool with each other generally. I think. Yeah. yeah like they're right. basically the same. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, looking at all of Bergevin's tenure, there are some things that he never really succeeds in fixing, and that is the center position. And on a related note, adequate scoring. And there's this weird tick towards, I have to get a 6-3 defenseman every summer or I turn back into a pumpkin or something. Mm -hmm. And then there's just the utter failure to develop. There's also like, okay, I have a couple of things that I can actually point to. The Logan Mayu pick, I think was actually just... Like, that wasn't morally acceptable to me. I think that was bad. Yeah, I, I think it did absolutely no one involved in that entire situation any favors. Yeah. yeah, it's like those last two picks of that draft. The Canadians and the Blackhawks. Uh, the Blackhawks hiding behind, I assume, every woman working in their organization when they make that pick. Mm-hmm. That's and then, so bullshit. <laughs> and then the Canadians picking... Uh, I, Logan Mayu. Yeah. That, Logan Mayu. I, sorry, I tried to pronounce his name in my head and I couldn't. Um you know, after he said he don't draft me, like, come on, guys, you have no leg to stand on with this. And that's probably the PR guy that got fired was probably the sacrificial lamb in that one. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't know. Like, I think Bergevin just rode the uh, conference finals run and the, uh, wow, I'm a French guy. Who are you going to replace me with thing? Which yes. was a whole long rant from my wife <laughs> about that that I cannot repeat here. But, uh. um you know, I think I think the uh, the the hairs are still uh, a bit high on the back of her neck after living through ninety uh, six back. So <laughs> yeah, I mean the truth is, I do understand why the Habs want to have French speaking people in prominent roles in the organization. They're culturally whatever. Okay, like I'm gonna accept that I don't fully understand that, but I'm not I'm not surprised that they finally decided to sort of maneuver around it. Mm-hmm. The yeah, way that they're, they're pretty obviously doing. They brought in Jeff Gordon, who was GM of the Rangers, is considered to have done a good job with their rebuild in some quarters, although I think it's maybe a bit more ambiguous than that, but whatever. Um, and he's now uh, executive vice president of hockey operations, because Molson still has to be president or something. And, you know, he's Anglophone, obviously. And he's going to hire a GM who is going to be kind of a junior assistant but it's like it's like title inflation for 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 G- it used to be like the gm was like okay you're the chief decision maker and we've seen this in basketball too but now it's like mm-hmm. president of of basketball or hockey operations can often be the chief decision maker and what used to be an agm is now a gm right and yeah so, like I, yeah gordon will make the decisions and daniel Briere or that guy from anaheim will be the ones to decide what hotel they stay at <laughs> when they're on the road yeah, and you know, the truth is for Briere, there's an argument that this makes a lot of sense. Right now, his experience is running an ECHL team. This vaults him up the ladder in terms of professional competency, and then, you know, maybe he's a real GM somewhere down the line. But I do think that there's a a long-run issue here where it's going to be whoever's hired under Gorton might be okay with this for a while. But they're gradually going to expect, okay, I've been the GM for two, three years. I should be, you know, taking more of a role here. And if there's a clash with Gordon, if they start disagreeing on things, I can see that eventually being a problem. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, but I think that's something every front office has to navigate, right? Yeah, because true, basically true. anyone who gets to an AGM role or, you know, does the duties that's typically associated with that AGM 
role, they're ambitious enough that they want to become a GM. Right? I think the, 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 there's very few people who are like, nah, I'm good with that. I'm good with AGM. I worked all this way. I got, I got this far. I'm good with this. <laughs> right? I think they all want their name in the spotlight to some, to some extent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, I mean, I, I guess to, to get back on track with the Hab stuff with, the, with like, Mayu, I mean, we talked about it on the pod at the time. We don't need to relitigate it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Bergevin does, does seem to feel that in in some sense and then um there was one other thing that they they did this was it this offseason or, or previously where it, it basically just suggested that Bergman seems to view like quote-unquote character concerns as in a player doing something kind of unilaterally pretty awful and deserving of consequences represents a market inefficiency and an opportunity to add talent to his team in a way that is is and can be quite insensitive to the victims of those you know poor actions taken on the part of those players um and like that that is a part of his legacy as well yeah no he owns that and like just okay i won't try and hammer this but there's a real effort to move the ground of the argument when people want to defend it they say oh should mayu have just been sent to prison forever oh should he have been just executed i'm like no he shouldn't have been drafted he said explicitly (laughs) do not draft me in a public statement that everyone read and bergevin said or what if we just did whatever the fuck we wanted? And so, and think, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm very interrupting. No. <laughs> I was going to say, they could have even waited until the second round and it would have slipped by because no one's watching the second round except, you know, to works like us. But, um, you know, they had to go in the first round. They had to shove it in everyone's faces with it. And, you know, I think that's that's part of his thing. Bergman likes to be public with this stuff. Like when yeah. he went public with Alex Galchenyuk, forcing him to apologize for being what I remember that story being the victim of domestic abuse. Yeah. For being being a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And And so I think the other thing I was, that was on the tip of my tongue that I couldn't remember. I think they, they expressed interest or like it was reported that they wanted to sign Tony D'Angelo as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. That was, that was rumored. And I mean, you know, the part of the defense that um, has been sort of leaked through the media that I'm sure stems from the Habs in these circumstances is that, they said, hey, if we didn't do it, somebody would have. Yeah, but you did it. <laughs> so <laughs> it's you. What someone else might have done, you know, what opprobrium might have attached to them if things had been different doesn't really matter because you did it. So, yeah, you know, I. the truth is I think Bergevin is a, at least a capable GM and purely from a skill level thing. I could see him being successful in other environments. But, like, I'm not impressed with him morally. I wouldn't be excited if the Leafs brought him on, that's for Mm. sure. Um, Yeah. You know, and I know that there's a lot of that going around in hockey circles. There are lots of executives who have done things to protect their perception of their team, including Kyle Dubas in the OHL. He's done things that, you know, he's apologized for. Um but yeah, like I'm not super impressed with Bergevin, even though I think that he probably, he was a wash. He was unable to solve the big problem of the Canadians, but the Canadians were in a weird spot. Yeah. And it's a hard problem to solve, but I mean, as a GM or, you know, as a lead decision maker of a hockey team, you're paying, you get paid a lot of money to solve those problems. So Yeah. And when you have, so. you know, eight, nine years to do so and, and don't, it is, it is fair at some point to, to, you know, own that. Yeah, like that's the thing. Um, Mark Spector, who is just reliably trash, um, <laughs> said uh, the Canucks were were ruined by Mike Gillis and are still recovering from his him leaving the cupboards bare, as he put it. Mike Gillis was last GM of the Vancouver Canucks seven and a half years ago. Yeah, that's uh, too long. Forever. Sorry. <laughs> like, and it's, with Bergevin, it's the same thing. Like he was GM of that team for so long. He owns everything about its current state. Um, you know, that's his track record. He, there's no one else to point fingers at, unless you want to say he was directed by Jeff Molson at certain times. But we don't know one way or the other about that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Soto, any, any final thoughts or anything you want to add on, on the Hab before we move to probably the more fun part of this podcast where we get to talk about <laughs> Jim Benning? Uh, aside from... As a least fan perspective, aside from last year, I think Bergman did a bang up for <laughs> Canadians into the ground. So, 
Uh, you know, it was nice being able to go to a Leafs Habs game and see the Leafs win. And mm. I, I had never done that before. Every time we went to Montreal, before you know Bergevin, the Leafs lost, and they lost bad, so bad that concessions people would give me free drinks just because uh, they took pity on me. <laughs> and then I have to ride the commuter train back, you know, off the island in my Leafs jersey, uh, full of Habs fans celebrating. So for that, to give me one chance of victory, I thank Mark Benjamin for that. I do. I know that we're all still a little sore about that loss last year, but if they just get that goal in game five, Bergevin probably gets fired sooner. And it's so funny. Like, can you imagine he would have gone down in flames? Oh, anyway, I can't let myself get preoccupied with what could have been to focus on the now. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the Canucks then. Cause um, yeah, they've turfed Jim Benning probably like three years too late, but you know, one of those things that, you know, the best time to plan a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Mm-hmm. It's definitely one of those situations. Um, his successes, to the extent that they exist, have basically entirely just been, he's drafted good players. Yes. Um, it, 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 I guess in some senses it's a bit of the opposite of, of Bergevin. I mean, Bergevin has, hasn't, doesn't have a sterling record in free agency either. But, you know, he looks like, you know, Wade Boggs in terms of batting average compared to, compared to Jim Benning, who, you know, just off the top of my head, there's Beagle. Roussel, Erickson, um, who else? Nate Schmidt wasn't a, a might not have been a free agent. That, that might was have a been a trade. trade and it, yeah. I think that was more defensible. Tyler Myers, though, Tyler Myers, was all yeah. him. <laughs> so like, just a ton of those of those very kind of avoidable mistakes and the stuff that like we thought we covered in 2013, in in like you know how how to GM. Don't overpay for depth people, right? Don't overpay for bottom six players. Don't overpay for complementary players. Like if you're going to get free agents, make them actually like you're make them actually good players. You know, it's not that hard. Um, but, <laughs> but apparently it is. A apparently hard. it is. <laughs> and then, um, sorry, I think the biggest thing is just he he failed to read where the where the Canucks were in their in their timeline. That's the biggest thing. That that underscored that was like the cause of all of these because he thought the Canucks were good and they were not, and they have then repeatedly showed that they were not over the past six years. Yeah, they're um, you know, Arvin and I do these league survey pods in the off season where we kind of go around the NHL and we look at all of the other teams, and I think it was three or four years ago where we talked about the Canucks being unwilling to face a rebuild, and what we said at the time was. Look, a rebuild is on you whether you're okay with it or not. Your team sucks. And so you can either act with an acknowledgement of that reality or you can ignore it, but your team is still bad. And so the consequences of we're rebuilding and we probably won't make the playoffs, they're already kind of there. Like they had that one fluky run that extended Benning's tenure um, in, in uh, in the bubble. But like this is not a good team. And that's after a lot of effort because last year in the Canadian division, I believe in my heart, the Vancouver Canucks were the worst defensive team I've ever seen in the NHL. And that may not be true, but they sucked, man. They were a turnstile. Um, Just absolute inability to stop anything from happening in their own zone. And that's after, I mean, that was after six years of Jim Benning bringing in guys like Myers. Um, now Tucker Pullman, which, I mean, that that's one of those contracts where you almost are, are like, what, is there like a typo or something? Like, did he sign someone else by mistake? Um, yeah, just staggering decisions. So, though, what do you think about Jim Benning? Uh, he's been a great source of material. I, I think this is his highest uh, point coming in uh, as GM because the Canucks made the playoffs – in his first full year as GM, mm-hmm. second in the Pacific, everyone thought, oh, they did it. They found a good guy, and he's going to do it. And then they never made the playoffs again until the, the bubble. And they never placed higher than fifth over you know, anyone else until the season got cut off halfway through. So, and then last year, again, they went back down to seventh. So 
I think he's been pretty bad. His drafting has been average. I, I don't think I think the uh, the narrative that he's a great drafter has been overdone a bit. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a, that's a good point. He's had good draft picks, but there's there's also been some notable misses, like um, yeah, Vertan and Yuel Levy. Yeah, he's had good like he's been the inspiration for this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he's uh, like you know he's had hits the same time. Like I compared the Leafs and Canucks drafts like side by side and generally where the, the Canucks hit on someone, the Leafs hit on one guy too. And so I, I don't think I'd say Dave Nonis is just as good a drafter as, as Jim Benning. And he's got a lot of Bergevin in him where a lot of guys that hit, you know, high games played, he's traded away in questionable trades. Um, so I'm not completely sold on, on Benning as good at anything. Maybe he's a great agent, but um He's been a bad GM overall and an uh, uh, average, maybe slightly higher than average drafter. So I think maybe uh, he's more of a better assistant than anything else. And, you know, he's one of those guys who peaks at, you know, sergeant and can, you know, command a, a small group of men, but can't lead. So I think that's that's betting. I think he's best being an assistant. Look at his record. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wonder, I feel like the one thing he has to be good at is, like, managing up, right? Or managing their relationship with the owner. I mean, it, it's possible mm-hmm. that with, with Aquilini, they just, they didn't want to essentially pay two GMs. They didn't want her to pay a fire GM's salary. And that, when he was on the on the, on the the rope, maybe that was a point in his favor. But they've definitely given him contract extensions over his over the, the lifespan of his time in, mm-hmm. in Vancouver. So... Yeah, it's 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 weird. It, it feels like he he must have done a good job convincing them at the very least that he he was onto something, and it couldn't really have been clearer from a fan perspective that that he has not been. Yeah, there's yeah. some suggestion that the that uh, Aquilini was directing some or all of the general strategy of the Canucks, and that partly why Aquilini was so forgiving of what appeared to be really terrible errors on Benning's part is that Aquilini told him to make them. Um, I don't know. You know, there's a saying in sports fandom that if you know the name of your owner, it's probably a bad sign. You know, (laughs) the more you're hearing about them, the more involved they are. And generally that's not good. So I certainly know Aquilini, but yeah, I do wonder a little bit if that's really the only excuse Benning has, because you know, his tenure has been bad. Zeldo's right. He's, He's gotten credit for hitting on a couple of draft picks. And to be fair, until this season, at least, Pedersen looked like an absolute home run. And I'm sure he's well, still very good. But. Yeah, well, and it's also, but it's also worth noting that like, the, the cap situation that they've had has forced them to, even with their really good draft picks, be in a position where they're, they might lose them in the future. Because they're, yeah. they're, they're forced to, they, they were forced to bridge Pedersen, for example. And yep. they're, they're bridging him. The advantage of a bridge is you get short-term gain at the at the cost of long-term um long-term elevated salaries so you you bridge when you're a good team when you're using those cap savings at the most valuable part of of the win curve to go from like good to great or even you know i can be convinced that depending on on the team and like their their need for playoff revenue and things like that from from okay to comfortable playoff team Mm -hmm. the canucks are bridging in a year where they're going to be in the lottery yeah like that's just disastrous yeah that's that's hideous that that's happened to them um the other things about the drafting legend of jim betting just uh to tack on there is one supposedly supposedly the Pedersen pick was advised by the sedines you know what which is fine but then that's a bit of knowing who to listen to um but also it was associated with judd brackett who was uh, head of scouting under jim betting for a long time eventually they parted ways. He's now with Minnesota. Um, and I do, uh, to be clear, I, you got to be fair to Benning and say, look, if he listened to the right people, that still is a big part of his job description. You have to give him credit when he hits these picks. But if the wisdom isn't his on these picks, that's still a bit worrisome because that's really all he has going for him. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the JT Miller trade, I guess, is pretty good, even if it was sort of at the wrong time. They got a good player for a decent price. They were just in a bad position to take advantage of it. But some of the other deals are terrible. And as a, a in free agency, he might be as bad as any GM since Peter Chiarelli. Like, yeah, it's really stunning how 
how bad his free agent moves are. Like it, it's just hard to it's hard to to even consider at some mm-hmm. points. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's that's an annual tradition is to wait. What's Jim Benning going to do this year? And I I gotta say, I think this year his biggest um, excitement for everyone watching him, you know, uh, is the Ekman Larson trade, which I just looked up and didn't realize. They sent Arizona a first-round pick in that deal, too. Yes, yeah, so it was like the ninth or 10th overall pick this year, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Coyotes took Dylan Gunther, which, okay, fine. I don't know if that's going to end up being a, a huge loss to them, but I thought it was just contracts. <laughs> I didn't yeah, know it well, was I mean, a top-10 pick. It was, we almost thought of it as first for Connor Garland, mm-hmm. which is like, okay, interesting decision to make when you're – as bad as Vancouver yeah. is. Uh, it's another mm-hmm. another kind of same issue, right? Like, yeah. of not evaluating where the team is. Yeah, like, they keep believing that they're closer to competing than they really are. Um, but they do that, okay. And then they trade a bunch of terrible contracts that Jim Benning signed for <laughs> Oliver ekman Larson, And the ones that they're giving away are all in their last year. So, it, you know, in terms of cap in, cap out, for this year, it's fine. But if OEL is just even meh they're paying a lot for him for a long period and they've extended the pain mm. um to their credit <clears throat> uh ekman narson i mean his on ice numbers he's at least a, you know above uh he's like treading water uh, um in in terms of like shot results and expected goals and things like that so that that's you know that that's that's more than what a lot of people would have anticipated yeah and you know they're the thing is, they've got a cap hit of seven point two six million for like the next seven years. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> the a lot of people on like the stats side were like, Ekman Larson is really just like not good. But mm-hmm. the thing is, Larson Ekman Larson's contract is so large that even if people were wrong about him and like he is like he he is not not good, he has to be a lot more than not good in order for him to be worth the contract. Mm-hmm. So like people have to be wrong on him by a lot. Yeah, in in some sense, right? So you had this he, with the Ristolainen trade, where they were, we were mm-hmm. like, okay, he probably will look better out of Buffalo, because Buffalo is a quagmire, but it won't be to the point where it makes sense to pay first round picks for him, which is what yeah. Philadelphia and did. W- with uh with the Canucks, like they probably only really need Ekman Larson to play like a four and a half five million dollar pair because they they just gave up bad money for him, bad short term yeah. money, but it's still not awesome long term to to lock yourself into what is po- probably like a, a two and a half million dollar overpay at best yeah not to mention like okay so you're still getting good years out of oel now mm-hmm. when it's doing what yeah helping you finish seventh <laughs> in the pacific great <laughs> you know and, and again it's just like the timelines are not great benning's moves were often iffy but what made them bad was the strategy like mm. there was just a constant failure to recognize the quality of the team. And again, I wonder if that's ownership directed. Yeah, I I would say part of me feels bad kind of ripping on Jim Benning so much because looking back on everything, I think it has to be Mm -hmm. the ownership. I think they found their guy who will just do what he's told. Um, And bringing in Jim Rutherford, maybe they've realized someone got into Francesco's ear and is like, that's not going to work anymore. <laughs> you need someone who will just do the job. Um, so, like, I don't know. Maybe this is the Aquilini's admitting they're not good GMs of a team and they can't just get guys they liked. So I I, 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 I do think a lot of it is, is ownership mm-hmm. in Jim Benning's case and he's just doing what he's told. But I don't know. Push back more? Yeah. At a certain it... point. Like, I mean – you know, they, they just hired, as you said, Rutherford as president of hockey operations. He's the interim GM now. He will hire someone to do that job permanently, supposedly. Uh, so far as I can tell, the last time the Canucks had a president of hockey operations, it was Trevor Linden. And he stepped down in summer 2018. And it was rumored it was because he and ownership didn't see eye to eye on things. Now, you can say, you know, at some point, Benning probably needed to say, OK, you've got to let me do what makes sense. Or I gotta go, but that's easy to say when there are only thirty-two of these jobs. You know, yeah. so I'll say that I can imagine a scenario where I 
do feel kind of sorry for him, as you're saying, Zelda. And, and I think 2018 was was a good point to rebuild if that's mm-hmm. what Lindy wanted because they had Pedersen 17. They just drafted Quinn Hughes. That's the perfect. I think at the time that's the perfect pairing to tear down a rebuild around. You know, a center and a defender. That's you know, if those are your top two players, that's an excellent duo to to work with. And yeah, that would have been the time to do it. And if that was Lyndon's stance of this is what we have to do, we don't have anything else. And the ownership said, no, I, I can't imagine, you know, I'm Trevor Lyndon. <laughs> you know, I'm fine. I quit. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. It, yeah. And also, couldn't do he, that. he's someone who fans aren't really going to turn on either. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like he, he's beloved in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, so I think I think that that probably was what happened, and the ownership didn't want to do that because they were they didn't want to risk ticket sales, they didn't want to risk the money that may be lost in a rebuild. Because um, hey, they saw even the Leafs didn't sell out games <laughs> at the start of their rebuild, but that I think that's only because they waited too long to rebuild and people were fed up with it, and now that's what the Aquilinis are probably feeling now. Mm. So I, it's just uh, an over. A, uh, an overwhelming sense of fear from ownership about rebuilding and then waiting too late to do it until it's actually hurting you. And not to uh, to rain on the parade, because there's some excitement in Vancouver now that Benning's been turfed. And Well, to be fair, it's Vancouver. It's always raining on parade. <laughs> there's a freebie. Uh, but they've hired Jim Rutherford and Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce Boudreaux, I think, is a very good coach. Good yeah. stuff. They, You know, he's having a honeymoon phase, but I also, like, that's a good hire. Um, but Rutherford is like one famously very aggressive, like maybe the most aggressive GM I can think of in the modern G- NHL. Like he reminds me of, um, you know, Cliff Fletcher or something. Um, but also he's 72. And so I'm sure there's some element of, okay, he's supposed to be a mentor to whoever he hires. Eventually he's going to step aside. But when you bring in Jim Rutherford, a guy who's a cowboy kind of GM, I keep thinking, are you sure you're buckling down for a patient. We're going to do this right. We're going to set the foundation before we build anything on top of it. Sort of rebuild. Or is this, I knew a big name who was available in the middle of the season and I decided I wanted him because this was Aquilini's call straight down. Like apparently it was him and he said, I have a couple names that I want and this is it. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I don't think too many Canucks fans are going to be left pining for the days of Jim Benning, though. No, that that's very true. Well, and I mean, you you touched on this. Like, do a- Aquilini also had like this weird tweet yesterday? Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I'll I'll recap it for for the fans if I can find it. Oh yeah. So he tweets: "Gotta love media in Vancouver." Two weeks ago, quote: "What's wrong with Aquilini? Why isn't he cleaning house? Can't he see it's a disaster? Why is he so close to act?" Two weeks later, quote, why is he moving so fast? Why is he cleaning house? Can't he see it's a bad look? Kind of funny, actually. So it's probably harder to parse verbally than if you see it written. But he's basically saying, you know, the media said I shouldn't have cleaned house two weeks ago now. Or said I should have cleaned house two weeks ago. Now they're saying I shouldn't have cleaned house. Which I don't know who he's listening to who's saying that. I I haven't. (laughs) No one I know has said that. (laughs) Um, But it's also like, just to your point, Fulman, about like, it's ideal if you don't really know who your owner is. Mm-hmm. You definitely don't want your owner being a shit poster on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that, that I'm confident in saying. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah. like, this still gives me pause if I'm a Canucks fan. I'm like, oh, God, we, like, this dipshit's still in charge. Yeah, like, Mark Cuban's a very loud owner in the NBA, but I don't think he's been as meddling as a lot of loud NHL owners have been. Well, yeah, and, like, uh, I mean... Cuban has won a championship, but if you if you follow um, the the Mavs closely, a lot of people said like it's it's a sort of dysfunctional organization that had all this front office drama this past year with like shadow GMs and power struggles. Um, famously, there was massive uh, abuse and harassment of uh, women employees in the organization on on like the basketball uh, on like the you know the employee like the I guess corporate side of the. Uh, of the organization, right? So not like basketball operations necessarily, but like, I don't know, like ticketing and sales and marketing and HR and like all, all the other parts of businesses that a pro sports team is. And Cuban was like, oh, I wasn't aware of that, which seems, you know, maybe a little 
a little skeptical of that, given how involved he appears to be in the Mavs generally. Um, so yeah, like Cuban, I think is like very is not even not really an exception to this. He's been a good owner in some ways, but definitely, you know, it, you you re- you really do want the the person who owns the team to be as as quiet and low key as possible. It feels. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, with Rutherford, I part of me hopes that they're learning. I think from other teams, like someone else brought it up, and I don't remember who, so I'm sorry to them if they're listening. But that Rutherford will be Lou to the Sidines Dubis in this role. That you hire someone like that to train people, and um, that that's that's a very president of hockey operations move. Like we had just Shanahan acting as ownership's voice in that matter, but you know maybe. Maybe Aquilini brought Rutherford in to do that, and the the Sedins are the, are the future of this team, uh, or one of them, if you only want one GM. But um, you know, I, I part of me hopes that's what they're doing uh, to try and get some kind of stability in there. The nice part of me, who admittedly is a lot smaller than the, I hope this turns into a disaster uh, for the Canucks. But you know, I, I think bringing in someone like that, they're they're mimicking the Leafs moves there. Mm-hmm. Um, because everything in my world is leaf centric as well, so I'm, I'm hoping that's that's why Rutherford's there to make a transition and to train people and to show people how we should run this hockey team, including the owners, because uh, you know he's Jim Rutherford. He's won multiple cups and and he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So maybe a switch flick somewhere in in someone yeah. to say we need a, a, a grown up in here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do get that. And Rutherford has the resume, as you said. He's won a ton of stuff. And he's made some brilliant moves. You know, his early tenure in Pittsburgh, he did a lot of things that worked really well. His later tenure in Pittsburgh, the opposite happened. But the thing that occurs to me is, say what you will about Lou Lamorello. He's the epitome of, like, I'm going to make the trains run on time, and everyone is going to show up for fucking work, and everyone is going to... Like, it was... If you want someone to just professionalize your organization, even if it risks him being a bit of a tyrant, Lou Lamorello is your guy. Um, Jim Rutherford, I'm like, he's the kind of guy I would hire where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to do anymore. I want someone who's just going to take big swings and, you know, he might hit a home run or he might strike out. But I'm willing to roll those dice. So there is just that potential for this to get really funny. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just holding on to that hope. Mm. But, yeah. But that said, you know, he's he's a lifer, obviously, and he's very well established. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, any parting thoughts on Benning, Zeldo? Uh I hope he takes over the Canadians. <laughs> I hope he learns French really quickly. Uh, <laughs> Monsieur Benning. Um, <laughs> yeah, and anyway... Yeah, I think I will say on maybe a more somber note, it does make me a little sad inside when we lose a really good bad GM, you know? Like someone mm. who's really going to be funny and just do something dumb on July 1st and, and really kind of spice up our lives. Like we didn't realize how good we had it with Pete Chiarelli and Dale Talon and Jim Benning. These men were legends. They were titans bestriding the earth with their terrible moves. Oh, and now you know. Now we don't have any of them. Yeah, no. It, it's mm. we, we we've taken some heavy losses in recent years in that regard, and like there aren't very many just straight up like awful GMs anymore. No, I like I think just that there is you know there's a learning curve like there is in any industry where gradually over time, you at least start noticing the most egregious mistakes, mm. and you make fewer of them. Like, you know, there are still some, obviously, but there's no one that I point to as on a par with those guys. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I guess the good thing is GM, bad GMs never go away. They just get tucked into running AHL teams. You know, <laughs> in the shadows. Uh, um, so I did want to briefly discuss the Jason Spezza thing. Oh, yeah. Um, this is... 
The notes are, I can rant about this. I didn't write anything else down, so I'm going to. And then you guys can jump in with any thoughts that you have. And it's just something that I wanted to mention because it seems to come up. As everyone listening to this podcast is well aware, Jason Spezza has been suspended six games. He's appealing, okay, due to an incident against the Winnipeg Jets. Now, Neil Pionk um, need Rasmus Sandin. Sandin got hurt. Um, no call on the play. It was in the context of a very poorly refereed game overseen by Brad Meyer, uh, of all people, who also oversaw a dreadfully refereed Leafs Bruins game that led to Nazan Kadri getting suspended. Game two in that. 2018, right? Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yes. And so there is some bad blood there. And I think everyone would agree the refs let the situation kind of get out of hand. I think it's also suggestive that there were two suspensions coming out of it when they didn't call things properly on the ice. Anyway, Pionk was falling over uh, as he went for the puck. I think Spezza saw Pionk with the puck and said, payback time, bitches. He saw Pionk fall over, and I think he said, whatever, I'm plowing through. And it's the whatever I'm plowing through that's at issue there. I, like, look, it's a suspendable hit. You can't do that. Even if I had the red mist going, I do understand you've got to call that. But there was some discussion about, okay, it's clearly premeditated. And people say that makes it worse to some extent. And I say, yeah, but the thing about hockey is that there is an extremely long tradition of let the guys sort it out on the ice that goes through the sport and has since forever and that the league has occasionally outright endorsed and at worst kind of winked at. Like there's always been a, okay, well, we'll let them play sort of thing. And this was in a game that was refereed from a very let-them-play standpoint. I think when you have a game that's under that level of uh, lax control, I guess, if it's just that poorly managed, you are kind of inviting risky hits. I'm not saying that people should throw them. I'm saying that it's conducive to that. And to say that Spezza you know, was just nefarious and unheard of, it seems to me kind of detached from the history of the sport. I think that there was a lot of um, reaction to that, which was, you know, legitimately condemning the head. It was bad. But it did happen in a context where this is sort of how it goes. And so I think it is on the league to manage this better. Um, maybe that sounds like excuse making. And again, I'll say, look, Spezza had to get suspended there. But... If you have a sport built on let them play and you do not manage things, then you're encouraging them to revert to, okay, we'll settle it ourselves. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it's... It, it, I think this, this suspension on Spezza is completely fair, but yeah. it, it, it's absolutely a failure of the refs that it got to that point. And, and uh, Elliot Friedman on the the second intermission uh, during the Hockey Night in Canada game, essentially said that other teams are talking to the league and being like, what's happening to the refs from that? Because, like, mm -hmm. I, I guarantee, as dumb and toxic as it is, I guarantee you zero coaches, zero GMs, zero players would be mad if someone, if someone on their team did what Spezza did. Yeah, like, they're not livid at him in the room, and yeah. especially in Spezza's case, where he's never had a suspension in 1,200 games. Again, doesn't mean that he should have done that, but it means that the fact that he did is <clears throat> happening in the context of the game that they've built. So it's like, you've got to change this. If you don't want this to happen, it's not enough to just say, okay, we're really going to come down with six games on Spezza. It's the game has to be better refereed and there have to be consequences for letting it get that out of hand. By all means say, yeah, and we're going to suspend the guy who did it. Okay. But... I think that this is a really inadequate response. Yeah, and, and that's all it is. To, like the NHL does grade its referees; they don't publicize those reports for very obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But they do grade the referees. I imagine that the referees involved in that game are going to get like dinged for it. But it's also, you know, it's not a problem limited to these particular referees. No. No, I, and I mean. I, again, now this is definitely me starting to show my age. This is just going to get worse and worse as I get older. But I'm thinking, like, 
I grew up in a league. Oh, I grew up watching a league. I did not play in the NHL when I was like six. Uh, I grew up watching a league where a lot of stuff like this happened as a day-to-day thing. That doesn't mean that it should have. I'm glad that there's less of it. But again, this, you know, <laughs> I, I saw some people being like, oh, it's vigilanteism. And I'm like, are you new to the sport? <laughs> like, I, like I, I know, like it is, but you know, that's not an unheard of thing. That, like the whole concept of the enforcer is yeah, I mean, vigilanteism. Pe- people comparing things that happen on the ice to like norms in society is... It's a understandable why that happens, but it's like very obviously flawed. It's like, yeah, like if any hockey game, if I do anything similar to, or if any player does anything similar to an NHL hockey game on the street, yes, it's assault, right? Yeah. But it's it's like that. That's the sport. That is, and you can quibble with the culture of the sport and the rules that allow it to be that way, and that is completely, I think, understandable and reasonable to do. But it's like we don't need to blow up a situation to to the point of like we're saying, like arguing for jail time or something. Yeah. Sorry, Sully, you were saying? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, this is why they brought Jason Spezza in. Like, not necessarily to to knee guys in the head, but to to lead like this, you know. that to, They brought in Thornton last year. They brought in Wayne Simmons. They brought in the, all these guys who haven't won yet, want to win, but have the age to, you know, show them, you know, to, to lead like this, to lead on. Um, for their teammates i think and you know we've seen this from spencer before and we've seen him go hard at times when maybe no one else was or it was necessary like the blue jackets game four the blue jackets game four and in just random in-season games we've seen jason Hmm. spencer go off you know like scoring and, and and leading the way and i think this is part of why he's here and i think he's taken on that that mentality that well, I got, this is my team now. I have to defend them. I have to make sure we win. And, you know, like you said, he's never been suspended before, but a, a lot of his other games, especially in Ottawa, there was other guys to do that. And he wasn't the old guy on the team. And so he didn't need to take that on. And now he's here, you know, f- fatherly taking care of this team and and just doing what he thinks needs to be done. So I'm not mad he did it. I'm kind of happy he did it because that game was, you know, clearly out of control and no one was doing anything about it. And he was defending Sandine, who everyone thought was gone for the year. And, and but, you know, and you know, he's taken for it. He's going to appeal it. He's going to get it reduced down to, you know, three or four games by the time he serves his sixth game. He'll get the money back, which, you know, isn't the point. But I think the point of appealing it is to prove the league wrong in their decision and i think that the leafs have a very good team of people especially brandon shanahan who used to be handing out these decisions and got removed from that position because he was too eager to do the job properly um and they'll make a very good argument about you know this suspension this suspension this suspension the jets have acted like this before and after since this happened mm-hmm. um and i think they're going to make their case and they're going to make it publicly and they're just appealing is basically to point out that the NHL needs to fix its shit. Mm. Yeah, and they do. And ultimately, that would be my takeaway from it. Like, I totally get you saying, like, look, Spets, you got to let up there and you're risking a concussion and you can't do that. Yeah, no, he, like, that, he that should always be, be suspended. Yeah. yeah, like you can always finish on that note, to be clear, and I'll, I'll abide it. Even if, you know, I obviously I like Jason Spets. I think we all do. He seems like a great guy in general. He's been great for the Leafs hometown guy lots of reasons to but yeah it's a bad hit but again there are too many factors around this that led to this point and maybe this is homer bias but i do find myself getting a bit frustrated by conversations that are hey look what a bad hit it was and it's unprecedented and oh my god and you know what yes it's fine to react that way it's not only one incident that happened um even even that week like even with the jets yeah so it's because it's the leafs but hey that's fine that's fine (laughs) everyone loves to talk about the leafs so (laughs) we're everyone's favorite we're so beloved (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway this is a a a bit of a homer segment but you know i don't know i 
that's, that's the just point. how I see it. So what the hell? We're a Leafs yeah. podcast. Sometimes we're going to just leaf it up. Mm. We're a Leafs podcast that's not going to pretend to be friends with everyone. So that's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Um, does anyone have any other thoughts on that or anything that just you'd like to share or express? Not in particular. No, I think I think we covered a lot of stuff we wanted to. We, we mocked the other teams. We ranted about stuff. It's great. It's a great pod. It's a good pod. It's cathartic. Mm. Um, all right. Well, Soto, thank you for, for joining us. It was very fun to have you on. We have ruined one of our, our gimmicks, so we have to find a new one now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this. Oh, it was great. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. It's nice It's nice to feel included. So, you know. Aww. There we go. Um. You know, I'd say, is there anything you want to plug? You write for the same website we do, so. I sure do. Uh, not as much. It's, it's, you know, it's it's odd to find out what muscles hurt a lot when you type. But, uh, <laughs> rotator cuff injuries are not just for pitchers, so they're also for bloggers. It's a contact but, sport, blogging. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, here, but you are here in El Saldo on Twitter before I forget. Yeah. I am. Uh, I am there. I am there on Instagram, too. I never use it, so don't bother with that. But, yeah. <laughs> I, I am there on Twitter for now, depending on choices I make for next year. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fulliman and Seldo's uh, work at PensionPanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFulliman. Uh, you can follow Seldo on Twitter at LSeldo. Uh Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>